and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DOD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access to SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute or SSI at the U.S. Army War College. It's Friday, March 3rd, 2023. With the Russian war in Ukraine having just reached its one-year mark, it's clear that economic sanctions against Russia, as well as the provision of military equipment and other materiel, have together formed the centerpieces of the Western response to Russia's unprovoked illegal invasion. Yet the global South, including Latin America, remains conspicuously unwilling to join in either effort. Could Latin America play a role here also? And if not, what explains their unwillingness to join the West? To examine these questions and the role of Latin America more broadly in the conflict, I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Evan Ellis, Research Professor of Latin American Studies at the Army War College's Strategic Studies Institute. Evan, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be with you on the program. Let's start most broadly and look back a year ago when this war started. Can you tell us first, what was Latin America's initial response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? The response was complicated, John, but in general, although there had been a number of different Latin American countries that had maintained what I would call casual relationships with, with Russia, oftentimes uh, uh, low-key economic relationships, particularly in, in agriculture or military sales, um, initially the majority of Latin American countries um, responded by joining uh, United Nations votes to condemn the Russian invasion of, of the Ukraine. However, uh, there was not uh, with that forthcoming any type of, of material support or joining with the United States. Um, and the European Union in, in sanctions. Now, on the verge of Putin's invasion, you actually did have um, uh, two uh, important visits. One was by Argentina's President Alberto Fernandez, uh, who uh, basically um, promised uh, Argentina's use as a gateway uh, to Russia's uh, increasing influence uh, in, in Latin America, uh, something that looked uh, relatively worse uh, when literally uh, weeks later uh, you know, the uh, Russian uh, unprovoked invasion of, of the Ukraine started. Uh, the other was the visit of, of the then uh, populist center-right uh, president of Brazil, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who again uh, expressed his admiration for Putin and the desire to uh, strengthen the relationship. So after the invasion, um, at least uh, for uh, a time, the uh, initial postures of, of both of those uh, countries uh, probably embarrassed them and created some internal problems and, and led to a, um, a an absence of, of farther uh, statements. Although it's also important to note that uh, a number of what I call um, you know, populist leftist governments who have uh, consistently been relatively anti-United States, specifically uh, Venezuela and Nicaragua, their initial uh, responses were uh, much uh, more favorable 
hostile towards Russia, reluctance to condemn the the, the invasion, um, and in the the early um, weeks uh, that followed that that invasion, actually uh, doubling down with uh, the signing of military agreements and receiving uh, uh, high-level delegations from Russia, which helped Russia to to show the rest of the world that it was not completely internationally isolated. So it was a mixed response, but the vast majority of, of Latin America um, at least uh, cooled off a little bit and didn't at least jump to embrace uh, the Russian response and at least in the United Nations condemned it. Now that we're one year in, Evan, has there been serious evolution in that response to date or are we still sort of in, as you describe, a, a kind of a mixed response, if you will, not really uh, embracing what the West is is after, uh, but nonetheless not really embracing Russia either? Has any evolution been evidenced at all? There has been both evolution and continuity, John. So on the one hand, uh, you've had uh, three more uh, UN votes in, in, in the past year. Um, and in those votes, uh, you do see that the majority of, of Latin American states, and including uh, some principled leaders on the left, such as Gabriel Boric of, of Chile, have continued to condemn Russian actions and, and demand for, uh, you know, most recently, an immediate withdrawal, um, uh, uh, cessation of uh, hostilities. However, having said that, it is important that uh, certain leftist leaders have have moved uh, from uh, a clear posture of um, you know, condemning to a more neutral posture. And so you have a series, for example, of abstentions in, in voting by El Salvador with that uh, populist government, Nayib Bukele, there. And also the leftist government of Xiomara Castro in Honduras, you've seen moving from uh, essentially condemning Russian actions uh, to, uh, again, uh, abstaining. Uh, also, at the same time, you had an important political change in Brazil. Um, so you went from Iran ironically, a center right government under Jair Bolsonaro, who uh, embraced uh, Putin to, to some degree, um, to a center-left government of Lula da Silva, who actually, in the interest of positioning Brazil to mediate some sort of future conflict, has um, both said that uh, he, he does not condemn Putin and, and he sees both sides as Zelensky equally at fault, um, but also has called upon a greater role for, for China in its intermediation. So certainly not uh, helpful there. In addition, you have also the populist leftist government of Andreas Manuel López Obrador or AMLO in, in Mexico, who is also um, reached out in indicating that it does not want to fully condemn Putin and, and again, uh, you know, seeks to uh, mediate. I should also mention that uh, within the region, uh, one of the deepening problems that you've had is there are nine different countries in Latin America that have uh, various amounts of, of Russian military equipment uh, from the past, mostly helicopters, some fighter aircraft in the case of Peru uh, and various others. Um, however, uh, because of the sanctions regime imposed by the West. Uh, across the board, those states have had difficulty in maintaining that Russian equipment. And so the question of, of what to do about that equipment um, and, and how to service it uh, has become increasingly a problem uh, for those states in the region, although they have not yet taken any action to um, to, to address that by, by doing anything that might be helpful to the Ukrainians. All right, Evan, I want to ask you more about the military equipment in a moment, but uh, let me first turn to as I mentioned in my opening remarks, the, the first part of this Western response, and that is the sanctions regime. Uh, you know, you've painted a picture for us really of a Latin America that is, of course, not monolithic in how it's responded to this invasion. But with regard to the sanctions that the West has, has uh, engaged in against Russia, is there any prospect that the U.S. might convince some of the larger economies? I'm thinking Brazil and maybe Mexico, maybe Argentina to engage, to come on board with the, with the sanctions, any hope at all? 
Unfortunately, there probably isn't, John, but uh, it's important, as you point out, to understand the some of the reasons behind uh, Latin America's uh, posture. Um, so historically, Latin America has uh, sought uh, economic benefits uh, with all parts of the world and has tried uh, very much to to stay out of, of international politics. And so that kind of traditional polit- um, posture of, you know, we don't want to get involved has certainly uh, played a role here. Uh, in the economic realm, you do have some specific economic interests in that countries like, like Brazil and in Argentina were uh, relatively dependent on Russian nitrate-based fertilizers, uh, as well as uh, selling a certain amount of their agricultural goods uh, to Russia. Other smaller countries like Paraguay and Uruguay also had the same uh, difficulties. And so at least there was some talk that that was part of the reason for not wanting to openly condemn uh, Russia and, and Putin for its invasion, although the actual amount of uh, sales involved were relatively small relative to other parts of the world. And so um, the role of that as an excuse is, is arguably uh, somewhat limited. Um, in addition to that, you have the internal politics of the region, understanding, for example, that just as I mentioned before, that uh, you know Argentina's uh, President Alberto Fernandez uh, took a lot of hits internally for so openly embracing um, uh, Putin, uh, as did uh, Jair Bolsonaro in in Brazil to to a certain extent. However, in in the current case, you find that um, for uh, in Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, uh, his uh, desire to uh, position Mexico as a peacemaker or, or mediator. Uh, probably plays more to the internal politics of, of going back to an assertive Mexican foreign policy in which it has a role more than just being uh, hooked into the North American economy under uh, NAFTA, now USMCA. In a similar way, you can say that um, Brazil's gambit to be an international player, as we've seen through things like BRICS, uh, is uh, has, has played a role in, in Lula's posture, just like Lula tried unsuccessfully during his uh, previous term in office to uh, position Brazil as a peacemaker between the United States and Iran over nuclear negotiations, um, again, trying to set up Brazil in the same way now. Uh, having said that, uh, the prospects for change uh, are probably pretty limited. So, for example, there was a, a very creative refer- uh, initiative uh, that was announced uh, at Atlantic Council a couple of weeks ago by uh, the uh, commanding general of, of U.S. Southern Command, uh, General Laura Richardson, suggesting that, well, maybe we could have a win-win here if uh, the Latin American countries could take their uh, – equipment, uh, the Russian equipment, which they're having a hard time maintaining, uh, which is, uh, you know, creating problems, uh, give those to the Ukraine, because the Ukrainians, of course, uh, know and, and are familiar with and, and need more Russian equipment. Um, and at the same time, that would help the United States uh, strengthen its relationship with Latin American countries, because we would replace that uh, you know, difficult to maintain Russian equipment with, with U.S. equipment. Well, almost across the board, the Latin American countries said no. Um, some of the countries, no great, ex- uh, no great surprise. Um, you know, I think, you could say, you know, Cuba and, and Nicaragua and Venezuela basically said hell no. But some other players, like, for example, Gustavo Petro in, in Colombia, um, who was traditionally Colombia, a very close U.S. security partner, dismissed, uh, you know, the offer almost entirely out of hand. Although there have been a few such as Ecuador who who have said, well, we'll, uh, we'll at least think about it. But I think what you see is, on the one hand, that, uh, you know, Latin America really has not been entirely receptive, um, indeed has often been moving in the opposite direction uh, with, with these type of things, withdrawing anything really proactive to, to get more involved to, to help the, the Ukrainians. And indeed, with Latin America's continuing turn to the left and with these internal politics 
motivations that we, we talked about. Uh, indeed, uh, part of the problem seems to be that, uh, you know, despite evidence of human rights violations and, and, and of course, uh, um, you know, Russia's just, you know, blatant, uh, gross, repeated violations of Ukrainian sovereignty, something that supposedly is very sensitive to, for Latin American countries, that they're choosing a bit of cognitive dissonance to, to turn a blind eye on, on these things that for internal politics uh, reasons, uh, you know, continuing to want to, so to speak, stay out of the fight. You've commented on uh, the military aspect of this, the military equipment aspect, specifically with regard to Russian equipment. Let me ask you, though, about uh, a debate on German equipment that recently unfolded in Europe uh, or in the transatlantic community, I should say, uh, and that is the delivery of leopard tanks, German built leopard tanks. I know that Brazil, Chile and Ecuador all have leopard one tanks. Now, these aren't the most advanced leopards, but they would nonetheless be very useful to uh, to Ukraine. And now Germany's given the green light that they are willing to approve of uh, third party transfers of these kinds of weapons, at least from across Europe and presumably from elsewhere. Uh, is there any prospect of those those three countries perhaps uh, being asked or being willing to donate uh, or transfer or sell in some way those those leopards to Ukraine? Well, unfortunately, no, John. Uh, first, again, uh, the broader initiative that was uh, suggested in, in public by General Richardson um, for the transfer of Russian equipment, even with the possibility of, of U.S. incentives or possibly even some sort of, of U.S. replacement, um, has not really met any receptivity uh, with the exception of uh, perhaps, uh, you know, some uh, openness by, by by Ecuador to, to think about it. Um, but also when we look at each of the countries involved, uh, so on the one hand, although uh, Brazil certainly has the, the by far the, the, the biggest military and, and the biggest, uh, you know, land force, a very capable combined arms force, and, you know, arguably could, uh, you know, spare a, a, a few few of its tanks. However, again, you have a leftist government there that is, you know, with, with Lula openly trying to position itself as a mediator. And so the last thing probably that, that Lula is going to do, uh, trying to position itself as, as a mediator between um, Zelensky and, and, and Putin, um, is to give um, you know, Brazilian tanks uh, to you know, one side. In a similar way, uh, Chile, unfortunately, Gabriel Boric, again, who has expressed his principle in condemning um, the, uh, the um, some of uh, Russia's action, Putin's action, but um, again, as uh, someone who comes from from the left and and who's been uh, you know a bit of a you know advocate for you know looking for peaceful solutions, um, again um, has been very reluctant to use the the military as an instrument. And so again, even though uh, you know Chile has uh, probably some of the the best uh, equipment. In, in the region, um, again, uh, probably the, the politics of that would not work out. Um, Ecuador, although politically more receptive under the government of, of Guillermo Lasso, on the one hand, you have um, the, the, just the, the sheer smallness of, of Ecuador. Ecuador probably doesn't have any vehicles to spare. As a matter of fact, uh, they could probably use uh, some significant help in in augmenting uh, their their forces, a uh, variety of, of mobility equipment. Um, Although uh, Ecuador arguably doesn't really need tanks right now, um, you know, with, with its current security situation, uh, at the same time, um, Ecuador's government is is really politically imperiled. Uh, Guillermo Lasso uh, just lost an important uh, referendum on political change. He's had one of his um, major uh, um, negotiating partners, the indigenous organization Conai, just announced that they were turning against him. He's had attempts to impeach him. So um, probably the the political weakness of Lasso makes it very difficult for him to do something 
something that would uh, really play into the hands of, of certain actors on the Ecuadorian left, uh, supporters of former President uh, Rafael Correa, who are, who are basically seeking to to take him down. So unfortunately, for a variety of different reasons, uh, it's hard to see help for com- forthcoming uh, from Latin America with respect to the leopard tanks, although um, it certainly seems like it would be a, a logical idea, um, but uh, difficult to see it happening, unfortunately, right now. All right, Evan, let me ask you now to uh, to look ahead. Uh, if we think about Russia in a post-war period, whenever that's going to be, and it seems frankly like it's some time off, is there a potential role that Latin America might play as Russia seeks to reconstitute its military power, uh, rejuvenate its economy, et cetera? Uh, do, you, do you foresee that on the horizon? On the distant horizon, John, it's certainly possible, and it would depend on the timing and the conditions of, of the end of the Ukraine conflict. And so, um, you know, certainly uh, to the degree to which uh, Latin America has a dollarized economy, um, if Russia continued under a sanctions regime, it would probably be pretty difficult for most countries in Latin America to do you know, open trade and other relationships. Also, of course, um, you know, some of the things that Russia has worked with Latin America on before uh, would be open for, you know, renewed uh, commercial re-engagement, uh, certainly things such as uh, Russia's purchase of Latin American um, agricultural products and supplying nitrate-based fertilizers and, and certain industries in which uh, Russia has uh, integrated uh, and done work in Latin America, especially the petroleum industry with uh, TNK and Luke Oil and, and, and Gazprom and, and previously Rosneft, among others, uh, some mining work with uh, with uh, um, you know, companies uh, such as uh, Rusoro or or Rusal, um, but uh, beyond that, uh, again, um, while you might find uh, Russia's uh, traditional partners, um, you know, on the hardcore military and, and other uh, goods, it's probably going to be a long time before Latin American countries uh, buy new Russian military equipment, uh, just because of some of the, the questions raised about Russian doctrine and other things, and also uh, a long time before Russia will have that military equipment uh, in, in industry uh, to, to spare. Um, but also, uh, Russia will probably be in a debilitated condition for some time in terms of the ability of Rosbron Export or Rostec to extend credit for a good military deals. And that will probably set the stage for other competitors such as China or in a more friendly sense, uh, South Korea to fill in the void where previously uh, the Russians were able to to market uh, their, their their equipment. So certainly over the long term um, and certainly uh, with Latin America's uh, turn to the left and the willingness of certain uh, governments to work with the Russians, uh, one can imagine that um, you know certain governments that, that might play a role in, in brokering a Russian peace deal, whether Lula or, or AMLO, as we've talked about before um, could be positioned to extend a hand, um, but uh, but again, it really depends on when this war ends and, and under uh, what terms, and um, and again, uh, who who we're talking about. But uh, you know, the, I think uh, you know certainly there is a desire to you know have a very different uh, Russia that would be able to engage peacefully with with the rest of the world. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, as as we both know, we're a long way from from there. Evan, thanks so much for painting a uh, complicated picture for us of what has unfolded over the last year between Latin America and Russia and for uh, for helping us understand better some of the motivations and some of the factors at play here. So Evan Ellis, a research professor of Latin American studies, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, John. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website 
That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.